The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Shared a couple of things last week that, uh, you know, always meaningful to share from things that are in your, your personal life. And I made a couple of comments last week that some people have come and talked to me about. It was uh, uh, just some personal things that were uh, unusual, and it kind of affected and set the, uh, the tempo for last week's service. And some of those things were about uh, experiences with work. And, and I, I made the comment that in seven years, and by the way, all that work has been to support the church, all of it. Uh, when, when I came here from Oklahoma, which is where I was pastoring, I came here with a call to help recover a situation that had gotten uh, into a, a bit of a bind. And, and we've done some really uh, difficult things that have, have brought that recovery to pass. It's come at a, a high price of time and effort and even uh, uh, physical strength and things like that. Uh, but it's all been worth it. And, of course, I remember telling people when I came here, I believed that it was the will of God. I believed it was great. And then, of course, I knew the families that were here, and I knew what they deserved, right? And they deserved something better than uh, just to see something dissolve. So uh, we came here to, to recover things, and it's been a long, hard stretch. In that seven years uh, in developing revenue streams in order to secure properties and see to it that nothing you know, negative or catastrophic happened, in that seven years, there were like two contracts that were lost. And and that was always frustrating. I don't think you should ever, you know, get used to loss, right? Like it should always kind of uh, hurt or sting a little bit. I don't think that's something you ever want to be like, eh, you know. You, you want to evaluate things and make sure that things are strong. Uh, so I always held that as a, a pretty good record, right? Only two losses in seven years, pretty good. And then last week I made the comment that now in two months I've lost seven, Right? Two lost in seven years, and then now seven lost in two months. And you start to evaluate, well, what's changed in two months? What's different? Why this result now? What, what's happened? And you begin to evaluate some things. You look close, and you, you, you begin to, to take a look at stuff. And I have to just tell you, that's what set last week's message up, was just dealing with things like that. Now, I want to continue with a message this week that is the result of, of something that is affected when you go through any kind of unforeseen change or transformation. Anything that's unusual or anything that maybe isn't planned for, right? I didn't go into this year planning to deal with adjusting and, and making those kinds of changes, but yet now here you are in the midst of this and you have to make adjustments and make changes. So what I want to look at is I want to look at what happens in that process because I think how you walk through those processes is really going to affect the results that you get. Because you could take that one example, and honestly, it's just a silly example, and it's not meant to inspire any anxiety or, or any kind of fear. It's just something you have to deal with. We all have those things. You know, We have changes in our life. Your, your health could change. Your job could change. Something could change in a way that's unforeseen or undesirable, and you have to deal with it. These are things that we have to face and deal with. Your, your family life could change. A, a family member could pass away. A, a living situation could change. You could get a letter in the mail that, you know, everything's, you know, smooth sailing, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. We deal with that kind of stuff. And, and if we're not equipped to deal with it properly, we can make compromised choices and decisions. Things like anxiety and things like fear and things like doubt can begin to steer the ship, and they will run your boat aground. They'll run you right into the rocks, and next thing you know, you're, you're sunk at the bottom, and, and you're wondering, how did I get here? 
So uh, what I want to look at is something that I think is very important in how to deal with those unforeseen things, you know. I made a comment to a guy, uh, it was last week, so it was uh, in the middle of dealing with some of these things that got handed to deal with, and he's a guy that I do some work with, great guy, I hope that you get to meet him uh, uh, one of these days here in the, the church, but he, he called me up and we were talking about a job that was going on, he was given a very favorable report, things were going very smooth, and uh, I made the comment to him, hey, just you need to know that we lost this, this contract, this contract, and this contract, and he goes, oh man. Because he knows how big of a deal that is. I said, yeah, they had what they call a corporate shakeup, and I think it's economical. I think there's just some things going on, you know, uh, in the economy, and, and it's, you know, you could sit and point fingers at all kinds of different stuff, and why waste time with that? We just need to deal with it. And, and his response, once again, was, oh, man, because he knows the, the weight of it. And I said, you know, we, we've gone through stuff before. This is pr- the biggest thing we've ever gone through, but we'll, we'll come out on top, and and then this was the comment that came out. And have you ever given yourself goosebumps where you're like, man, that was pretty good? I said this. And I didn't even like rehearse it, right? I said, when you know you're a winner, you don't worry about losing. And it just got kind of quiet on the other end of the phone. He's like, yeah. When you know you're a winner, you don't worry about losing. I mean, this is just a change. It's not a catastrophic loss. There's a shift happening. Yeah, we're not going to do that anymore, so what are we going to do instead? I'm not going to let the loss define who I am or identify me as a loser. I know I'm a winner. I'm a blood-bought, spirit-filled believer. I'm destined to win. My birth testifies of that, and my being born again confirms it. Being sealed by the Holy Ghost just testifies to the rest of the world. Here's a winner right here. His name is Preston. You can fill in your name there. You're a winner. When you know you're a winner, you don't worry about losing. So in that phone call, it shifted the whole attitude of the call. It went from being led by, oh, man, to being like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll just keep moving. We'll find what's next, and we'll go. We'll go. We'll do it. We'll get it done. And you got to keep that in mind when you're dealing with these problems and these situations. I'm destined to win. You can't stop me from winning. And all of this garbage that attempts to convince me otherwise is an absolute lie. It's not true. So I want to give you a couple of things we're going to find in the Word this morning. That kind of was the setup, right? We all have these things. We deal with these things. Unforeseen things. It's just kind of like getting clubbed in the knee with a baseball bat. Just just drops you for a moment. And you've got to ask yourself, how am I going to respond to this? We deal with those things. Now we need to learn biblically how to respond to those things so that we can get the right effects. Here's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word. I've got to throw on my glasses here because I wrote really small. Uh, one of the most valuable things that God gives us, that's one of the things you're going to find. One of the most valuable things that God gives us. Now, I'm, I'm willing to say one of the most valuable things because I believe that it's, it's in this small list of like three things, right? And, and God's very efficient. So the things that he's going to give are going to be necessary. There's never anything where you're like, you know, I don't really need that. You ever bought something that required assembly and they sent extra parts, right? Yeah, that's not very efficient. When you're done and you got like screws and nuts and bolts left over and you're thinking like, well, I guess those were extra. At least I hope they were, right? And that's not how God works. If he gives you three things, you need all three. And that's really one of the problems. Sometimes we don't like the things God gives us, so we want to pick and choose like a buffet. Like, I'll take some of that, some of that. Give me some love and give me some peace, but I don't want self-control, right? I don't want patience. 
I want to be able to lose it any moment and be okay. Well, that's not okay. Self-control and patience, those are important, and God gave them to you. So when God gives it to you, it's a necessity. It's important. Now, this thing that we're going to find is in a list of three things, so it's a very important thing. One of the most valuable things God gives us, we'll find that. Another thing we're going to find is how to deal with doubt. How to deal with doubt. And this is something that applies to everyone, no matter what, no matter what the, your, your, your measure of faith is, no matter what you've been through or what you deal with, there's going to come a point where the, the lies of the enemy, where the circumstances in the world, something will bring you to a point where doubt will attempt to creep in. You've got to know how to deal with it. And then there's a third thing that we're going to find, and it's what's good for your heart. What's heart healthy, so to speak. So we're going to jump right in. One of the most valuable things God gives us. I want to give you a passage of scripture we're going to open with, and it comes from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You're going to find a few things here that God gives you. We're going to emphasize one of them for the message today. 2 Timothy 1, 7. It reads like this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us power, love, and soundness of mind. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us power, love, and soundness of mind. Now, we could talk about power, and that would be a great thing to talk about. We probably will soon. Uh, Love would be a great thing to talk about. Uh, But then I want to emphasize today this third thing is one of these three important things that God gives us, soundness of mind. I mean, when I read that in the scripture, I, I have to just, you know, update the, the vernacular, the vocabulary, so that it comes in how we speak today. I don't really talk about soundness of mind. I don't hear it in the culture today, but I do hear a lot about mental health, right? God's really interested in your mental health. And, and in this case, God is giving you strength in your mind so that you can deal with things. I love this passage of scripture for a couple of reasons. One, God is giving you something. And then two, it's revealing what God's not giving you. It opens up with God's not given me a spirit of fear. So if I wake up in the middle of the night completely overcome by anxiety, or if I start to think doubtful thoughts, thoughts of failure and, and frustration and all of these things, I can pause and realize, well, you know, I don't think that's coming from God. If it has to do with a spirit of fear, then it's not something that God's given me. Something else has given this to me, whether it is circumstance or situation or the voice of the world or some outside influence, the devil himself, who knows? One thing's for sure, if it's a spirit of fear, it's not from God. So based on this passage of scripture, then you begin to see what he does give. And you see power. That means the ability to do something about it, right? Then you see love. That means that, that there's a, a reason behind this and it's motivation that, that should drive away all fear and anxiety. When you see the rest of the scripture about the power of love, perfect love casts out all fear, you begin to see the importance and the necessity of love when you're dealing with troubling situations. And then you see that third one, soundness of mind. And that's really what I want to talk about because I think that's the place where there's a tremendous battleground when you're facing something difficult or you're facing something unforeseen. Soundness of mind. What would it mean to have a sound mind? I mean, if God doesn't give me a spirit of fear, but he gives me power, well, I know what that means. It means I can do something about it. If he gives me love, well, I know what that means. That means he's expressing his motive and his reason for being involved in my life. It's not just because he wants to save face. 
and I'm some embarrassment of a son and he's got to clean up my mess, it's because he wants me to be successful. That motivation is love. That's liberating. And then I get to soundness of mind and I begin to ask myself, what would it mean if Preston Humphreys had a sound mind? I'm not embarrassed to say this, but that's actually the hardest one for me to answer. And then it makes me ask, well, do I have a sound mind? What would it look like if I did? What would it look like if I didn't? And I begin to look in the scripture and you begin to see a lot of things about mental health in the scripture. And it's a really incredible thing. I mean, it's the kind of thing when you begin to see it, it begins to stand out more and more, right? I mean, this is kind of a goofy example and it may not apply, but have you ever gotten like a vehicle and then you start noticing a lot of that vehicle on the road? Like you get like a red truck and all of a sudden you're like, man, there's a lot of red trucks out here, right? Well, you start looking for something and you realize it's there. You see it more. You're, you're attentive to it. It stands out more, and, and you begin to notice it more and more. And you start looking at mental health and your thought life and all the things in the Scripture, and they begin to pop out everywhere. And you begin to realize, like, wow, this is a big deal. God's really interested in my thoughts. And there's a reason for this. I mean, the Scripture literally says, as a person thinks, so they are. Meaning the things that you think will define who you are. It will affect what you do and what you say. If you allow dark thoughts to prevail in your mind, your words will become dark, your actions will become dark, and before you know it, darkness will be the result of, of your life, and that's not a good thing. You've been called to be the light of the world. The scripture instructs us to take every thought captive. That's an interesting thing to think about. You know, if I were to reword that, it would just mean you need to think about what you think about. That's kind of a weird way to say it, right? But I like it because it's just silly, right? And it kind of sticks when silly things, it's like a slogan or something, right? Think about what you think about. When you think about your thoughts and you begin to ask yourself, is this thought godly or is this thought worldly? Is this thought of God or is this thought of the devil? Is this thought true or is this thought a lie? Well, in my world right now, the thought that would be true would be I'm a natural born winner. God has made me to win. And the thought that would be a lie is you're a loser and it's going to fail. When those thoughts come into my mind, I have to think about what I'm thinking about so that I don't sit and soak on the wrong thing because whatever I soak in is what I'm going to smell like and I don't want to smell like failure. I smell like victory. I'm going to think about what I think about. And if it's not God, I'm going to quit thinking it. If it is God, I'm going to stay right there and I'm going to let it just affect who I am in every aspect of my living, soundness of mind. We've got to think about what we think about. I want to give you a passage of scripture here from the book of James. James, I want to look at verses 6 through 8. Uh, it's in uh, chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Here's how the verse opens up and it reads. It says, the one that doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he'll see anything from God. Being double-minded, he is unstable in all of his ways. Now, we've used this passage of Scripture in the past when we've talked about certain things. I want to use it today because I think it applies really greatly to what we're, we're talking about and where we're going. And one of the things that we've emphasized before is something I want to reemphasize this morning, and it's the fact that in that last statement, a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. I have to ask myself, what does it mean to be double-minded? Well, it just means to go back and forth. If I find myself thinking, I'm a winner, 
I'm a loser. I'm a winner. I'm a loser. I'm a winner. I'm a loser. That's double-minded, right? It's not singular. It's not just I'm a winner all day long, 24-7, 365. You can't stop me from winning. That would be very singular. But double would be this flip-flop back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that is a roller coaster you do not want to ride. It'll make you sick. And now here's the, the interesting thing about this. When someone's double-minded, when they are finding themselves going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, the Scripture makes this as a guarantee. They become unstable in all of their ways. I would have been comfortable if it would have said half their ways. Like, you know, when they're thinking good thoughts, they're good. When they're thinking bad thoughts, they're bad. What this says is that if we become double-minded, we're unstable all the time. You can't put any trust in any thought because it's subject to change. It's not rooted in any conviction. It's rooted in circumstance or situation. And in this passage of Scripture, that's represented by wind and waves, stuff that is outside influences that will push you one direction or another. And when you start to see this, you begin to understand the rest of what the Scripture says, the importance of being rooted and anchored and having a foundation and standing on the rock and an unshakable kingdom and all of these things where you begin to realize, like, yeah, I'm meant to be firm in my convictions, in my identity. Those things aren't meant to change. They're not meant to be this way one day and that way the next. They're not meant to be affected by circumstances or situations, whether they are meant to be established absolute once and for all. I'm a winner. You're a winner. It's pretty amazing when you begin to see in the scripture all the importance of, of these things that are established to keep us stable. And that's a very important word. In fact, you see the opposite of that word in this passage that we just read. That when we become double-minded or if doubt prevails and we begin to think one way one moment and another way another moment, we become unstable in all of our ways. You'll find the word stable in the scripture a lot. Now, I like to know what words mean, so I'll look up words in the dictionary, and, and I think that's an important thing to do because, you know, we come here to, to receive from the Word of God, but how do you understand the Word of God if you don't know the words that make up the Word of God, right? So you look up a word like uh, stability. That was a word that I looked up because I thought, I want stability in my life, right? I hate the dictionary because the dictionary plays with your head. You look up the word stability, and it says the state of being stable, did that help you at all, right? doesn't help me at all. So then you got to look up another word. So you always got to just be ready to look up at least two, right? Because you want to get to the bottom of it. So you look up the word stable. Here, here's really what the word stable means when you look it up in the dictionary. Not likely to give up. Not likely to give way. Not likely to give in. Firmly fixed. Firmly fixed. When I hear those words firmly fixed, I begin to, to think about all kinds of passages of Scripture about Jesus being my foundation, Jesus being my rock, me being like a tree planted beside the river whose roots are firmly fixed into the ground. I begin to see all of these things in the Scripture that all imply a life that is firmly fixed. And all of these attempts through poetry to describe this, to, to sink it into my, my mind and to sink it into my heart are all brought by God for my benefit so that I can become aware of the importance of stability in my life. That he would bring stability into my life. No greater manifestation of stability brought into my life than that of Jesus Christ, a king who will never be dethroned, a kingdom that will never be shaken, a foundation that will never be broken. 
stability. And then I let my mind wander a little bit, and that's a dangerous thing for me because I'm weird, man. Like, I get quirky, and, and I can get way out there real quick. But stability is just kind of an interesting thing. When I hear the, the word stability, I just think of two words. Stay and ability. The ability to stay. And let me tell you something. That shakes me to my core. I've pastored for 20 years. You want to know how many people I've seen leave? I've seen more people leave than come. Over things that are just like ridiculous, seemingly. I mean, you can't minimize someone's frustration or their hurt. And I don't want to throw rocks at anyone, but I've just seen things that I thought, really? You would break fellowship with people that love you over that? Where is your ability to stay? Where is your stability? That is wind. That is the wave. And it just drove you away. It's double-minded. we got to be stable. Now, this is something that I hear and I read and I see and I feel because of my life experience, and it begins to have an effect on my prayer life. Like, Father, I want stability in my life, please, in Jesus' name. Give me the ability to stay. The things that you've called me to, the things that you have led me to, the things that you have equipped me to do, don't let circumstance and situation, don't let a few canceled contracts cause me to pull up and run. I want stability. Stir in me everything stable. Magnify it, amplify it, and anything that is unstable in me, anything that is double-minded in me, anything that is led by situation or circumstance, purge that from my life and set me free from weakness. Give me the ability to stay. Give me stability. So then the question is, well, what does that mean? If you pray that prayer, what are you asking for, right? I mean, like you've heard the example, right? You want patience, so you're praying, you know, patience and all that. Well, then you're probably going to get really annoyed because God's going to give you an opportunity to be really patient, right? So what are you getting when you ask God to give you an increase of, of stability in your heart and in your mind? Well, I know what I'd like to be asking for, right? It's just a greater awareness of Jesus, and, and that's a good thing to ask for, by the way. But the reality is, if you want stability in your life, it's going to be a work that takes place somewhere very specific. And most of the time when this work takes place, it's not very enjoyable in the process. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. I can tell you, though, the results are well worth it. When you know the results, you can endure the process. Uh, here's the passage of scripture. I'll talk less and read more. How's that? James chapter 4. Uh, I want to read verses, uh, let's see. I have a copy and paste error here. It's in James. You'll find it. I'm going to read the passage to you. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then there's this instruction. So submit to God and resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Now, I left that in there because it's just a great passage of Scripture to hear. Here's really where the rubber meets the road. Now, it says, now draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. And then you have this Interesting set of instructions. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When I realize that I'm facing doubt and there's a risk of being double-minded, where I could think I'm a winner one day and I'm a loser the next, where I could think I win 
in one moment and I lose in the next. When I see the, the, the double-mindedness beginning to creep in and bring that instability into my life, I've got to take this passage of Scripture into consideration. This instruction to deal with double-mindedness is an instruction to purify the heart. Well, when you take the rest of the Scripture into account, it makes sense. Jesus says in Matthew 15 that your thoughts come from the heart, right? I mean, the, the, the Word tells us to guard the heart because out of the heart come all of the issues of life, meaning the things you think which make up who you are. You begin to connect all these dots and realize, like, okay, I don't want to be double-minded. That means my heart needs to be purified. Now, how do I do that? Well, I can tell you how I've done that in the past, not with great effect, but I've tried to just be more righteous. Well, that's a good thing. It's a noble effort, right? We should sin less. If, if you, that should be a good thing. I mean, we're in church. Sin is bad. Righteousness is good. Enough said, right? But I don't think that's exactly what's being spoken about here. The purification of your heart is something that takes place at the hand of God as he drives and purges out things that shouldn't be there and as he brings in things that should be there. And by the way, that is Preston Humphrey's definition of ministry. It is my opinion, founded in life experience in the scripture, that ministry is one of two things. God either putting something in that needs to be in or taking something out that needs to come out be a combination of the two. But either way, it's something either going that shouldn't be there or something coming that should. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, I can see that if I'm going to get rid of double-mindedness, it's going to be this purification taking place in the heart. And I begin to look at the Scripture to see uh, what that looks like and, and how that comes to pass. And I begin to see Scripture that testifies that this is a real thing. And when you realize something is a real thing in the scripture, it becomes something that you can seek. It becomes something that you can pray for and ask God for. I desire that. I see it right here in the word. It's a promise that you offer to me. I desire that in my life, and I yield to that process so that I might know those results. Here's a great passage of scripture, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. Listen to this. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the stability of Jesus Christ. The stability of Jesus Christ, the one who is our rock, our foundation, the one who's a king who will never be dethroned, whose kingdom will never be shaken. That's as stable as it gets, baby. The ability to stay. He ain't going anywhere. Isn't it interesting that the Lord wants to direct your heart in that direction? God wants to direct my heart into the stability of Jesus Christ. Now, how does that happen? Well, I'll give you another passage of Scripture from the Proverbs, Proverbs 17.3. It reads like this, and it's a little bit poetic, so bear with me. The refining pot is for silver and gold. The furnace purifies the gold. But the Lord tests the hearts. That word test there can be substituted with the word refine. That's really what it means. Basically, it says that the pot refines the silver, the, the, the oven refines the gold, and the Lord refines the heart. Now, we don't really do a whole lot of smelting, right? I mean, when was the last time you smelted metals? Anybody? Not a whole lot of that going on. Probably even thinking like, well, I smelt something when I walked in here. Yeah? Yeah, look out. We don't refine metals a lot. I mean, like, we've got industry and all of these things. I mean, we go to the store and we buy products that are, are already produced and manufactured and packaged and made. This is just not something that's a part of our life. But the idea of refining is something that I hope we're familiar with. And if we're not, I'll give you a quick rundown. 
when you take the, the precious things that are natural, they have impurities in them. It's very rare to find anything that's just absolutely pure. In fact, it's really impossible. In fact, uh, the, this process is, is a process that's been around for ages in order to produce the things that we take for granted so easily. This process of refining is to introduce heat or pressure to drive out things that shouldn't be there so that only what should be there remains. Sounds a lot like ministry, doesn't it? Taking things out that shouldn't be there, putting things in that should. That's the refining process. And what's written here in the scripture is that when these precious things are found, they're refined. And, and the, oh, the things that shouldn't be there are removed. The things that should be there are put in so that what's left is pure, meaning stable, meaning it's not double-minded. It's not a little bit nasty and a little bit good. It's just good. And now God's at work in my heart doing this. The same way that someone would take and refine silver or gold and take all the dross, that's a word for garbage, out of it, and it would be left pure, and it would be left valuable. God's doing this work in my heart and in your heart. The question is, how does this process take place? Well, those examples weren't just pulled out of thin air. The examples of the silver and the gold, all of those examples are done by fire, heat, pressure, very uncomfortable thing. In fact, that metal goes from being a solid to a liquid back to a solid again. You know what? Two months ago, I was solid. I got a couple of phone calls. Some contracts got canceled. I was in danger of going liquid right there in my seat, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm solid again. Because I just thought things like the scripture. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, not my ability to negotiate a contract. My ability, we'd all be toast. It's God that directs my steps. And you know what? Even when I'm in error, he'll correct me because he loves me like a father that loves his child and brings discipline into his life. I'm not going to live a life double-minded that God's for me one day and against me the next. God's just for me. And he's leading me and guiding me in the way to go. I need stability in the way I think there. It's not that God, you know, came and and opened up a door for success and then decided to move on to another project and is going to leave me half finished, that's double-minded as well. I want to be stable. Father, what you began, you're going to finish. And you have all of these things that are affected. And I begin to see now all of the processes that I hate, the things that bring an open door for things like concern or, or even fear and anxiety, those things are not of God. Those are things that God is dealing with, and he uses that process to drive out all of the impure things from my mind, to get rid of the open door for doubt and double-mindedness, just to liquefy my thoughts for a moment so that all the garbage floats to the top and can be scraped away and thrown in the trash. So that in the end, when everything's solid again, I'm left purified. Purified in how I think. Purified in, in how I feel. Purified then in the resulting responses and the resulting actions that come from the things that I think. And it's amazing to be around someone who's had their mind and their thoughts refined. They become the people that you want to be around. They become the people that you would identify as courageous or, or faith-filled. They become very dynamic in, in how they do things and how they approach things. And you find that you want to be closer to those people because you want what they carry to rub off on you. And it can. And it does. You've got great influence. 
The people that are around you are always going to be influenced and affected by the way you think and the way you speak and the way you act, for better and for worse. And hopefully, in our case as Christians, it's for the better. And the more that our hearts and our minds become refined and the less double-mindedness that exists in us, the, the, the stronger our influence becomes in a positive way to those around us. Where we might face the same difficulty, we might face the same challenge, we might face a unified problem, and we become those that see the solution. We become those that keep our cool. We become those that walk in a steady and stable way through that difficult trial and aren't just swept away by the wind and the waves. Stability. The result of God's refining fire in your thinking. I want to encourage you to only pray this prayer if you're really serious about it. But it's a great prayer to pray and you won't regret the results. Father, refine my thinking. Let every impure thought in my head be removed by the refiner's fire and leave me with a purified, stable way of thinking. Give me what the Bible promises. You ready for this one? The scripture says you've been given the mind of Christ. Interesting, isn't it? You begin to look for mental health and, and thought life and, and all of these things. You could go even deeper. That, you know, we love to talk about the weapons that God gives us and the sword of the Spirit and all these things. The Scripture says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and vain imaginations. That's in your thought life. That God's equipped me with all of these tools to do what? To wage war against thoughts that are destructive so that I can think right. Man, I want to think right. I want you to think right. Take that into your prayer life. Father, I want to think right. Refine my thoughts. Now, I want to give you a little tip. Like, this is a personal thing, right? It's not even in the notes, but I think it's interesting, and, and I, it's something that I've experienced in my own life. I begin to look for areas of unrefined thought, right? There's a few little flags that you'll, you'll see, and and you can begin to identify some areas. Now, this is just one, and, and I think it's a big one. But try to listen to your own words. And, and then if you begin to see things, like here's a good example, absolutes. Absolutes are a great flag or a marker that you might need to examine something. You might need to think about what you think, right? Uh, so if you say things like always or never, right, those are absolutes. Uh, I've had some conflict before with, with people, or I've had conversation with people, or I've observed people before. I've heard somebody say things like, you know, I'll always, or I'll never, or, or you know, something like that. I'll always be like this. I'll never have someone. You always say it like that. You never do this. And the reality is, let me tell you something, as a married man, don't ever get that from your wife and meet it with, mm, that's not true, right? Because what you're hearing is someone who's so affected by something negative that it has now affected their thought life. You've got to minister to that right or you will open up uh, the cage and let the tiger out. That's never happened, right? But when you hear those things, you begin to realize, like, that's unstable thinking. You know? That's unstable. So that's not good. We need to stabilize that. We don't stabilize something with, with aggression and violence. I mean, you stabilize it 
by responding to the issue in a, in a way that fixes the issue, not that fights the issue. And I think when you begin to see unstable thinking, when you begin to evaluate the words that are coming out of your own mouth or, or the mouths of those around you, you begin to, to introduce words that you would hear Jesus say. You begin to see things in a, in a different light. And you've got to take into consideration really important things that Jesus promises to fix up the things that are vulnerable, not destroy them and tear them down. And let me tell you something. My natural tendency is to tear things down, not build them up. It's a supernatural thing for me to build up anything. It's a very natural and carnal thing for me to tear it down. And you know something? There's a measure of deception in that, that that's a, a tough guy thing. There's nothing tough about that. I remember once going to the doctor to do a checkup for our, our kids as they were growing up. You know, they, they go through the different ages and they do their little normal checkups and the doctor you know, said, well, they should be able to stack like two or three blocks at this age. And we laughed. And he said, well, what's so funny? And my wife pulled out a picture, and he'd stack blocks until he couldn't reach anymore, you know. And it'd be like if I stacked like a seven-foot stack of blocks, you know. And he's like, yeah, they're doing okay with blocks, you know. But what's really funny is, you know, they would both do that, one of them would stack them, but then guess what the other one would do? Come in and knock them down, right? And you've got to ask yourself, which one of those is easier to do? Is it easier to build it up or knock it down? Anybody can knock something down. Anybody. You can let the dog in and it knock it down. It's hard to build stuff up. Like that's where the talent is and that's where the gifting is and that's where the anointing is. So when we hear unstable thinking, the reality shouldn't be to crush it. Get those thoughts out of here. The reality should be we've got to minister to that. You're hurt and it's affected your thinking. We've got to fix this. We've got to fix this. So this isn't about censoring people. Don't say it like that. Don't do it like that. You can't think. That's unstable thinking. You stop that. You don't censor those things. You minister to them. And if we don't minister to them and we only censor them, we compound the problem big time. And I'm so glad that God is willing to minister to my unstable thinking and not just censor it. I want to finish this. The clock is ticking here. God is refining the heart. That's where he's doing this work to affect our thought life. And then once this takes place, something in the scripture begins to make greater sense. Not that it ever didn't make sense, but now you're like, oh, I get that now. It's like the little light bulb that comes on in a cartoon over someone's head, meaning like they, they finally caught it. They had the idea or, or, or it, it sticks. When this purification in the heart takes place and the thoughts become stable, stabilized in who God is and who Jesus is and, and how we ought to think, we begin to see clearly. All of a sudden, we're not led by the phone call. We're not led by the letter. We're not led by the news of loss. We're not led by the canceled contract, but yet we're led by the identity that we have as God paid the highest ransom that could possibly be paid for my life. Why would he abandon me now? He wouldn't. And any thought contrary to that's a lie. Once you have your mind purified by having your heart purified, you begin to see clearly. And it makes passages of scripture like this make more sense. Matthew 5.8. It comes from what we refer to as the Beatitudes. It's Jesus preaching a really awesome sermon. Matthew 5.8 reads like this. Blessed are the ones who are pure in heart. That means their heart's been refined and their thinking is stable, Right? Because stable mind comes from a purified heart. That's what we got from James. 
Blessed are the ones who are, are pure in heart. They'll see God. That's what it says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As God purifies my heart and it affects my thoughts, my thoughts become stable. I'm not double-minded. I'm not a winner one day and a loser the next day. God doesn't love me one moment and hate me the next. He doesn't want me to live one moment and he wants to kill me the next moment. I'm stabilized, singular in my thought that God loves me and he's paid the highest price for me and he'll never leave me or forsake me or abandon me and he's called me to succeed in all situations and in all circumstances. And he's made way for the heavens to open up and the miraculous be manifest in and through my life to testify that he will not let me fail. That's stable. And all of a sudden I begin to see God move in my life. I can see solution. I can see clearly. I'm no longer blinded by the lies and the deception of loss and failure. But now I can open my eyes and I can see the light of God leading me and guiding me in the way that I should go. I want to offer this to you in closing. I think this is a, a good one to close with. I mentioned before we're going to find out what's good for your heart. What's good for your heart. Here's where the challenge lies as it concerns anything with doubt. Doubt is fueled by a number of things. And we've been equipped by the Holy Spirit to outlast it. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. and We're closing with this one. What's good for your heart? Uh, uh, I've got it from the book of James, chapter 5. I want to look at verses 8 and 9. Here's what it opens with. You're going to, you know, depending on a few things, you may love these words, you may hate these words. First two words, be patient. How'd that make you feel? <laughs> be patient. Be patient. Stabilize your heart. For the Lord is near. Do not complain. It goes on to be more descriptive about not complaining against each other. But I want to stop right there and, and close with that passage. Be patient. Stabilize your heart. For God is near. Don't complain. I look at that passage of scripture and I see a number of things that I think are worth noting as we wind down. One, I... I can see that my heart being stabilized is going to result in the absence of complaint. And I'll ask myself the, the question, do I, am I found myself complaining? I got to tell you, you know, I got that phone call and you, you, know, you lost the contracts and it's created kind of a, a bit of a challenge that we will overcome, but I began to find that I would begin to complain. Well, if so-and-so would have done their job, well, if so-and-so would have had that meeting that he scheduled, he's the one that canceled it. You begin to go down this list of all these reasons why it's unjust that you lost that. It's unstable thinking. I have a just God whose hand is far bigger than mine. If he wanted me to have that contract, I'd have it today. So I begin to notice the presence of complaint, meaning, hey, I'm complaining a little bit. I don't think my heart's very stable. So then what's the solution? Well, according to this, it's be patient and know that God's close. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. Just wait. Wait. Solution will come. And I think that's really great advice for anybody that's dealing with situation or circumstance, like that wind and the waves that want to push you and make you unstable to take you out of where God's called you to stay and move you somewhere destructive. Wait. Be patient. Hold. It won't stay like this. It'll change. 
Be patient. God hasn't forgotten. He hasn't left. He's near. And don't complain. Because all complaint does is fuel the doubt. Fuel the double-mindedness. And make it more difficult to be stabilized in your heart and your mind. So if I find myself complaining, then I have to introduce the opposite. The opposite of a complaint's gratitude, right? I found myself driving, and I, I, I actually said this out loud in the truck. God, thank you for ever giving me those contracts and bringing us to this seven-year point. We would have never made it without them. You're obviously changing things right now. I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know what your plan is, but I, I know that you use that to get us here. You'll bring something else to get us where we're going. Gratitude. Thank you for that. All of a sudden, you're not complaining. All of a sudden, you feel more patient and your heart and your mind are stabilized. Now, I use my example here not to, you know, air my laundry in front of the congregation, but because it's a valid example. Now, you're supposed to fill in the blank with your example, right? Not out loud, not right here and now. The reality is take this word, apply it to your life, and whatever circumstance or situation is attempting to turn you into a double-minded man or woman, apply this word. I'm not going to be led by situation or circumstance. I'm not a winner one day and a loser the next. I'm just a winner all the time. And God, I want my heart to be purified. Let your refiner's fire do its work and take away everything impure so that only what's pure will remain and let my thoughts be affected that my mind would be renewed and that I would think stable thoughts it's a wonderful thing isn't it I want to ask you to stand with me I want to pray over us this morning I love the idea of God being at work and who we are individually. I preached a lot of sermons. I mean, I've done this for two decades. But I don't think I've ever preached one and thought like, well, that'll work. I always get done and just think like, man, that was awesome. Not because of the eloquence of the delivery. I mean, not, not anything like that. But because I believe in it. I believe that's the truth. Let me tell you something. I mean, there are lives that are ruined because of instability and in thought. People make horrible decisions, compromised decisions, decisions they can't take back. And we have the solution to all of that right here, and it's real. That, that kind of lights my fires. I want it for me, but beyond that self-seeking, I, I want it for you. I want it for people that aren't even here. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do a, a stabilizing work in our hearts and our minds. There's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray and I want to ask that God touch your heart and your mind in a way that brings stability in your thought. That brings a healing to any issue of mental health. You're welcome to be in an attitude of agreement or simply receiving. I want to pray over all of us, myself included. Father, we thank you for your word. We receive it as truth. Rejoice in your care and your compassion toward our lives, that you care about how we think. You care about how we are. We ask now by your spirit, will you move in each one of us individually, in our hearts and in our minds, to bring a stabilizing work 
that we would not be double-minded, that we wouldn't be led by circumstance and situation, that there would be no room for fear and anxiety to drive us into depression and darkness. But let there be a purifying work in our heart, a refining work in our heart that would take away everything unclean, those things that may have been there for years, that have been put there through abuse and hurt and wound and rejection and all the nastiness that we've endured through our lives. Let all of those negative effects be refined away by the fire of your spirit. Let them be tossed aside as the waste they are and let only what's pure remain, that our hearts would be pure and our thoughts would be stable that we would be delivered from double-mindedness, that we would be set free from doubt, that there would be no place for fear and anxiety, but that our words would be words of truth, our words would be stable, that they would be ministering, powerful and effective, not only to ourselves, but to those around us. Lead us as your beloved children to be the most stable people on the planet. Let it be as we surrender our hearts to your refining. We bless your name and we give you thanks for this wonderful work. We open our hearts to be touched and ministered to by your spirit. And we surrender to that work for your glory. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declared, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chancechurch.com.